In this episode, we speak with Chris Gordon and Devin O'Reilly, who lead Bain Capital's healthcare investing efforts and have been working closely together for 17 years. Chris also co-heads Bain Capital's overall North American private equity business. Since joining Bain Capital in 1997, Chris has been actively involved in nearly all of the firm's healthcare investing activity and also helped launch Bain Capital's dedicated life sciences investing effort in 2016. Devin joined the firm in 2005. Previously, he served healthcare industry clients as a consultant at Bain & Co., and also held general management positions in the technology industry. Bain Capital is one of the world's leading private investment firms with approximately $160 billion in assets under management. The firm pioneered the value-added approach to investing and has been at the forefront of growth investing since its founding in 1984. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Chris and Devin, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a delight to chat with you today. Maybe what we could do to kick off is hear in general about Bain Capital, and then we'll go into specifics about the different areas. Sounds great. And thanks a lot, RJ, for having us on here. We're always happy to get out there and tell our story about our own careers, Bain Capital in general, and certainly our time Devin and I spend in healthcare. But maybe just to start big picture about Bain Capital a little bit, I think one of the things that's a little bit different about our platform is that We have a lot of distinct areas of expertise, but we try to structure ourselves in a way to make sure that we can bring those together in a pretty integrated way so that we can get the best out of whatever capabilities we have in our platform for any given situation. So we want to make sure we don't end up with a bunch of different silos of capability. And so starting at the biggest picture, we've got about $160 of assets under management. A little more than half of that is in our private equity strategies. Most of the remainder is in our credit strategies. And then within private equity, we have a global platform that consists of a North America fund, a Europe fund, and an Asia fund. And those are structured in ways that they can invest individually within their home geographies, but also integrate and work together on more global transactions where that kind of integration makes sense. And then in addition, we have some specialty funds on our platform. We've got venture funds that we've had for a long time. We have a dedicated life sciences fund focused really on biotech, development stage pharma, And then we've got a tech opportunities fund, we have a real estate fund, and we have an insurance fund. And so those are, on the one hand, a lot of different disparate capabilities, but we're always looking for situations where we can bring them together in ways that lets us take a somewhat unique approach to opportunities. And one of those ways that we like to focus on as well, that I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more about, is opportunities where our industry verticals, where again, we have a lot of depth, can work together and bring complementary capabilities. And so healthcare IT is an example of that, where We've got a cross-vertical team from our tech team and our healthcare team that Devin spends a lot of time with really focused on the healthcare IT space. That's only one example of that kind of integration, but that's maybe a high-level view of our overall platform. That's great. And one thing I'd notice, you've been with the firm for quite some time, two to three decades, I believe. You just walked us through all the different areas. How have you seen the firm change during your tenure? I've never really phrased it in my own head as two or three decades, but I guess that is accurate. I've been at the firm since 1997, so this is my 25th anniversary of being here. It comes up in September, so pretty soon now. In some ways, it's evolved a ton, and in other ways, a lot of the philosophy and approaches remain pretty similar. So when I got here, 
I think we probably had something like a billion and a half dollars under management and about 45 employees. We had one asset class, private equity, one office in North America and Boston. And that's evolved a lot over time. Now we have $160 billion under management. I think we've got about 14 or 1,500 employees globally. We've got lots, as I just described, lots of different pools of capital and different geographic locations. But the approach and the philosophy has remained pretty consistent. I mean, our concept from the beginning was always that the way we're going to try to drive differential investment returns is by digging deeper into industries and sectors, trying to understand nuances and invest behind differential insights that we get out of all that work, and then complement that with a capability to really be hands-on in a supportive way with our companies. We were, I guess, early on maybe smart enough to know that we weren't going to manage our companies and other people were better at that. But we do think we can bring a lot to the table in terms of support and expertise and resourcing to help drive inflections and growth. And so it feels like a very different place than the one I started in 25 years ago. But I feel like the approach and the philosophy has really remained consistent throughout that. So maybe we head right into healthcare and talk a little bit more about maybe the different areas of healthcare, how you approach it, how you divide it up potentially. You know, as Chris was saying, healthcare has been a big area for the firm because we look for these opportunities as a generally as a firm to kind of help create inflection points. And sometimes that's something changing in an industry. Maybe that's pivoting a company in a different direction. But as you know, healthcare is very dynamic. There's changes in regulation, there's changes in technology, there's changing payment mechanisms. And so we try to look for, even within healthcare, interesting inflection points. And so the way that we kind of focus our time is every year, we kind of sit back with the rest of our team and say, what are the six or seven themes that we want to be focused on for the next one to two years? And we try to be pretty specific. So it's not just pharma, but we say, okay, well, how about we go and talk to large cap pharma companies about what is sort of like number three and four on your priority list if you're not going to be in this therapeutic area and focus what might be an interesting thing to spin out and partner with us on. And that was what happened in one of our companies called Cerebell, where we partnered with Pfizer to spin out their neuro franchise. Other examples might be within healthcare IT. We had an investment, initial investment in a company called Waystar, which was part of the payments ecosystem. We said, boy, there's a lot of providers out there really struggling with how how do payments work. There's consumers struggling with how do payments work. And so that's led to a string of another investment in a company called Zealous within healthcare payments. So we try to be pretty specific. We try to refine those themes every year. And then we just go out and meet all the relevant companies that we think could be interesting partners to consider for working with. It's interesting. There's other, obviously, large private equity firms out there The situations that you described, it could be a large pharma company that's looking to figure out what to do with a certain business of theirs. Do you find that you're going up against these other firms? Or is it the case that folks view you as having the healthcare practice at Bain as having specific expertise? So they say, oh, this is one for Bain. How do you typically find the opportunities that fit? We certainly compete with other private equity firms. It's a competitive industry and there's other good investors out there for sure. But what we like to do is go out and identify you know, who, who's a market leader in an evolving space and develop a relationship over a longer period of time. And so when it gets to the end, very often we find there isn't a competitor. We're actually able to develop a deal kind of on a proprietary basis. So one example, one of our recent investments in healthcare IT is a company called Leantos which basically what they do is kind of what airlines and hotels have done to really optimize the inventory or the utilization of their plane or the hotel. 
Lintas does that for hospital systems. So they help kind of manage how do you optimize your infusion clinic or how do you optimize your operating rooms to actually allow more patients and more patient access and make it more efficient for the healthcare system overall. So that company, we identified this as a problem by sitting in the boardroom of some of our provider companies. We said, boy, there should be a solution out there. And so we actually went out and met the founder of the company and developed a relationship. And then that evolved in over about two years, two years later, when they're really ready to do a transaction that we've been talking to them for many years. And it was a really logical partnership at that point in time. So we like to identify a theme, identify the most interesting companies within that theme, and then develop a relationship. That very often leads to finding a match as opposed to competing in a process. And switching over to value creation capabilities, it's something that we like to talk about with investors, how they kind of have an impact on the companies they invest in. I presume it's different depending on the situation, but maybe you could share with us maybe some instances of where you and Bain as a firm was able to impact the company. It definitely varies over time. I'd also maybe step back a little bit. I'd say our strategy and approach has evolved over time as well. So as I said earlier, we've, from the very beginning, had a pretty hands-on approach. Early on, when we were honestly 25 years ago with a smaller fund investing in smaller companies, what that really looked like was bringing a really good generalist business transformation type executive, smart person into a situation and just finding ways to add value in companies that were maybe less sophisticated and just had a lot of opportunity to grow into. That's a really good model. But as we got bigger and we're partnering with more sophisticated leadership teams, we found that complementing that with really deep specialist expertise was really powerful. And so our model has now evolved to where we have a generalist change agent set of capabilities that we tend to embed in our industry verticals. So they also develop industry vertical expertise. And then we have a central team of specialists who really can help go very deep on particular areas within our portfolio companies. And it varies company to company as to where that's the most value added. But Devin, maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the go-to-market capability we've tried to bring to some of our healthcare IT companies, for example. Yeah, well, one example, as Chris was speaking, that I was thinking about is the whole digital channel has evolved dramatically, and even within healthcare. So we have a great company that's an outpatient surgical business called Surgery Partners that they operate ambulatory surgical centers and surgical hospitals. And one of the functions within that company is to go out and find like, who are the orthopedic surgeons? Who are the doctors that you want to partner with? And historically, that involved a lot of cold calling and some networking. But over time, one of the things we realized, we have an expert on our team. He's an expert in digital marketing. And so what he was able to do is kind of craft a plan to say, actually, you know, there's docs that are out there. They're on LinkedIn. They're on like, you know, various specialized doc sites. We worked with an innovative company called Doximity as well to really identify what are the types of physicians that actually would be great partners for surgery partners. And that's just been a much more efficient way actually to go out and identify. Now, there's still the bit of the cold calling going out and meeting people in person as well, but that's just one example of the capability that we're able to you know, leverage from one of the experts on our team to really help that company to the next level. One of the big themes happening, and I'll step back from healthcare for a little bit, but one of the big themes happening across, I'd say, private markets is ESG. The steps that firms are taking to ensure they incorporate ESG internally as well as with their partnerships. Can you tell us a little bit about how maybe ESG has played a role into the firm overall as well as into healthcare? Though, you know, it's become an area of increasing focus. When I think about practically, 
I like to think that throughout my entire investment career, we've thought about those kinds of issues. We've never invested in a business that I didn't feel good about their practices or their mission. But at the same time, the more systematic you can be about something, the more impactful you can be. And one of our big platform-wide initiatives, although the place we can have the most impact, I think, is within our private equity businesses where we really have control. But one of our platform-wide initiatives has been to really build out a dedicated internal capability because I would say in the past, we were relying on our investment teams and our portfolio teams to make the right things happen in our companies and everybody meant well. But when you can build them out a real centralized toolkit, a set of metrics and a set of strategies and advisors to really drive outcomes, it's much more powerful. And that's what we've been observing, which is we now have a central team that focuses not just on building out what is our ESG strategy and what we want to do both with our own internal team and with our portfolio companies, but also helping to provide the tools and the metrics to really help drive that. And so as we have been tracking those metrics over time, all companies are starting from different places when they come into the portfolio. And we really want to make sure we're driving improvement across, obviously, the key pillars of that, social justice, diversity, equity, inclusion, environment, and governance. And we think we've been getting really good traction. But we're still, I think, in the early innings of a real groundswell And one of the things I think is interesting about the private equity industry in general and the potential to really drive a lot of system change is that you add up all the employees across the private equity portfolio companies, the biggest 25 or so private equity firms, I think that becomes the biggest employer in the country behind the government. And so there's a lot of opportunity there, still a lot more room to go. But I think that is a actively governed set of companies that can really drive a lot of positive change. I'm not sure if you want to touch on healthcare or if it's relevant to that. I'm sure if you break it down more specifically. I'll chime in. Within healthcare, we like to have a framework for all of our companies to really think about all the ESG-related issues. I mean, one of them that we're highly focused on is patient access and really helping our companies think through how do they create the right framework for creating patient access for healthcare, as you know, is a real <clears throat> challenge. And so we've actually developed programs from some of our provider companies and Surgery Partners is a good example of that where we've actually opened up our centers in inner city areas to actually have free surgeries at certain times to actually provide that type of access. And we've actually found that that's a great thing for the community, but it's also a great thing for the company to rally behind. Really adds clarity to the mission. And some of our healthcare IT companies, if you took PartSource, for example, is one of our companies that really helps on the medical supply chain within health systems. And so Today, it's about creating efficiency and making sure there's not downtime in medical equipment. They provide software that allows the health systems to efficiently order replacement parts and service. And so by running that efficiently, you create more access, you free up more capacity. One of the things we're working on as a sort of the next generation on more of the environmental side is what do those medical supply companies, what's their supply chain look like? And what's the carbon footprint look like? You know, what kind of goes into all those products as that becomes a real consideration for all healthcare partners that that company has. So we're trying to take a multi-dimensional approach to ESG and healthcare, certainly an area where I think you can have a lot of impact. Excellent. We're actually kind of coming up on time. I have a few questions that I like to ask to end the conversation. This veers more towards the personal, but related to the ESG, both of you are involved you know, in extracurricular charitable work. Maybe if you could give a mention on some of the things that you're kind of passionate about outside of work. The key one for me has been the kinds of programs and approaches that really help people who come from disadvantaged backgrounds really cross the chasm into really interesting professional careers. I mean, as many of us were fortunate enough to have a pretty good running start, 
that helped us get into some really interesting and dynamic careers. And it's really hard to jump over that gap if you don't have that kind of support and mentorship. And so I've always been a big fan of programs that focus specifically on that area. And so one that I've been involved with for a long time is Year Up, which is a program that provides really practical training, both on specific capabilities, generally around IT and back office finance, but also mentoring on how do you succeed in a professional environment. They focus that into a one-year program, which is half training and half an internship at generally a big company. And what they found is that they can take high school graduates with usually little to no college background and have them become really high-performing entry-level professional employees, which puts them on an entirely different career track than they otherwise would have been on. And so I've been a big fan of that organization and involved with it for a long time. One of the things I've been really focused on is access to education. And one lens of that is that my son's actually dyslexic and he went to an amazing school called the Carroll School here in the Boston area. And that had a real life-changing pivot for him to really teach all the tools to really help kids with dyslexia succeed. And so I've been very involved with the school in general, but also in particular providing the great capabilities of that school to a broader universe of students. So we've been evolving and creating a larger aperture for how more students can access Carol through scholarships and also doing the diversity of the school through having fellowships for teachers of color and things along those lines. So that access to education has been something that in particular through this lens has been something I've been spending a lot of time on. Excellent. Okay, last two questions. One is, can you tell us about a book that has had a profound impact on you? If you don't want to answer that, you could just give us a book recommendation. Profound is a pretty high standard, but yeah, my wife makes fun of me all the time because I always pick out these kind of long history or biography type books that I aspire to read and I struggle through them and I usually end up reading novels. And I enjoy them usually when I get through them. But the Wright Brothers biography by David McCullough was one that was not a struggle at all to get through. I found it just to be a fascinating story. And for me, what really resonated about the story was just that you can't really count on a system or organization or a culture to make things happen. Those are all important supportive backdrops. But at the end of the day, big breakthroughs or any sort of change or initiative happens because a person or a couple of people really decide to make it happen. And just sort of hearing the whole story of going from no flight to flight and just the transformation that that has driven across our whole society, along with lots of other things, I just found to be a fascinating, pretty inspiring story. That's a cool book, for sure. I'm going to give a quick plug to our founders, Lean Toss, who wrote an awesome book called Better Healthcare Through Math. So if you're really interested in a healthcare nerd like me and Chris, that's a pretty interesting read. But you know, on the personal side, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah is a pretty impactful book from my perspective. It really highlights a lot of things about access to education, as I mentioned earlier. But I also really admire Trevor for he's succeeded in a lot of different aspects of life. And he has such a positive spin, even though he's been through some complicated things and challenges in his life. And so I think that positive outlook was also something I took away from that one. Excellent. Okay, last question. Is there a leader that you particularly admire? It could be across any domain of expertise. I've always been a big Winston Churchill fan. You know, I think that actually applying more of a kind of an analytical approach to politics and to big societal challenges was something I think he was ahead of his time on. You know, obviously he was a colorful character as well and just had incredible fortitude. So he's always been someone I've admired. I'm going to maybe cheat a little and go back to Europe. And the founder of Europe is a guy named Gerald Chertavian. 
I've always just marveled at everything he's done. He pretty early on in his life had a successful business career, sold a software business when he was still, I think, in his mid to late 30s, and then has really dedicated the rest of his life to really trying to drive an impact for these urban young adults. And, you know, his initial program was just Boston focused, very hands-on training and had an incredible impact on 500 people per year, which is great, but he was just never happy to rest on his laurels and was always thinking, okay, I figured out something that works. How do we scale it? How do we expand it? And so he's really run year up like an entrepreneurial business and always looking for ways for it to grow. And it's now evolved from a local Boston organization helping a few hundred young adults per year into a national organization that's really focused, frankly, on system change and how do we change the way companies operate in a way that creates opportunities for not hundreds of youth, but thousands and hundreds of thousands of youth every year. And it's just been remarkable to watch that now over a 20-year period. Fantastic answers and a good note to end on. Chris and Devin, thank you again so much for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Thank you, RJ. It's great. Happy to be here. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, RJ. 